excited to be here today to be talking about something um, that's very important to us and probably and hopefully very important to you because a lot of us are in a marriage. Um, so real quick, I'm just going to take a second to pray real quick. Um, so just let's bow our heads. Jesus, we love you and we just ask that you would soften our hearts as we continue to work in our marriages. Lord, I pray that um, you would give ears to hear you and hearts soften. Um, towards you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity, and we ask that you bless us as we pursue how to do marriage like you. Amen. So the first time Brandon and I decided we were going to go to counseling, I remember sitting in the passenger seat and thinking, I feel like I'm going to prison. <laughs> I feel like Brandon is driving me to counseling, and he is turning me in and about to tell the counselor what a terrible person I am and how I've made his life miserable. So I just remember that feeling, and I had already gone through some personal counseling on my own um, just from previous relationships and trying to sort through stuff from growing up. So I thought I was all set there. I thought I had already polished everything up. So I was like, great, here we are again. Um, we're that couple. We are going to counseling, and I'm literally just shaking inside, thinking this counselor is going to either tear me apart. I'm just picturing everything wrong, you know. And maybe you can relate if you have had the opportunity to go to counseling. So after a few sessions of doing counseling, we found out that it actually the problems that we were having having were not uncommon, and they were weren't really the problem. The problem was how we were talking about a lot of the content in our marriage. And we were, as I was learning about this, I was like, wow, us humans, we're like really crappy at having conversations. And the main illusion of a conversation is we, we think we had it, but we actually are just not listening and we're fighting to get our point across or we're fighting to, get, to change the other person, which how often does that work? Never. So I just want you to take a moment to think about a conversation that you've had, mainly with your spouse, but um, if you're not married, this can be helpful just in how you interact with other people, so maybe a job interview. So take a minute to think about a conversation where you have, if it could, you could have changed one thing, it would have probably changed the whole course and trajectory of that relationship. And just, um, that's what we learn in counseling, is being able to learn conversational tools so that we could um, work out the problem. So converse actually means to turn together. And what we're going to talk about today is counseling because we believe it's the one tool that everybody should engage in to help you turn together and just figure out a problem. So we just need to be honest about that and be real about that because we all need a little, say it, counseling. I'm going to try that again. Ready? We all need a little counseling. All right. I mean, 
Come on, <laughs> like, come on, isn't that accurate? Like, like, don't you think we all could, someone needs to hear our crazy, doesn't it? Like, doesn't, someone should probably hear our crazy. So, uh, so when, when it comes to counseling, um, we, we, we really want to talk, we really want to lay that before you today because it's, it's not only something that we really need to figure out how to have a, a converse, uh, how, to, how to converse with each other and turn together in, um, but it's actually something uh, not quite the Bible talks. It's, it's, not, it's not like the Bible says, hey, uh, you know, go to counseling. The Bible doesn't ever say that. But it's a concept that I believe that God would introduce to us in, in, a, in, in a unique way. In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, I bet you didn't think I'd ever go there ever in my life. Um, but in Genesis chapter 2, um, God creates Adam and Eve, and, and he says, you know what, it's not good that man should be alone. And when, when Adam, um, when, when, when God creates Eve, Adam actually in Genesis 2 sings a song. Isn't, it, isn't that like a perfect image? I know all you men out there, you sing songs uh, when you consider your spouse. Like you just, I know you kind of sing songs of praise. Uh, to do to, to God. I, I, I hear men doing it all the time, in the bathroom primarily. Uh, just kidding. Um, but Adam actually sings a song in praise. Like, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And, and actually in Genesis 2, it says um, that they were naked and unashamed. And it's, this, it's not only a picture of Adam and Eve's relationship, but what, what the Bible is actually introducing to us is a prototype for how relationships should be, and really with our spouse, that we were naked with each other and completely unashamed. But Genesis chapter 3, um, there's a sin that takes place where Eve eats from the tree that God told, that God told, that told them not to eat from. And he and as they're going through, they're, they're really pursuing all this. And there's this moment when, when God finds them out. And, and I love it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Now, if you stop there, you just have a picture of God, that God cares and loves us so much, and he's just uh, in a relationship with us so keenly that he just would walk and talk. I don't know if you and your spouse or maybe your family, maybe you do this at night. Maybe just take a walk. And that's kind of the picture that, that Genesis paints for us about God and, and these first humans. He says, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. And I was afraid because I was naked. So what happened in Genesis chapter 2, this, this couple that experienced nakedness and unashamedness, is now they're naked and shameful. But there's this moment, and this is what theologians kind of believe really is the, one of the most, the biggest linchpins for the, entire, for the entire Bible is when God, the creator of the entire universe, he goes to find humans and he asks the question, where are you? Isn't he the God of the universe? Why is the creator asking a question that he already knows the answer to. Because I, I, here's what I believe, and this is what Genesis 2 is teaching, is that God's always closing the gap. He's always pursuing his people. He's always looking for us. He's always trying to, to say, hey, hey, I wanna be with you. I wanna be with you, but sin caused a separation. And in your marriages, a lot of times sin causes separation. 
And you experience this, maybe if if your relationship with your parents, maybe with a relationship with a core, sin causes you, instead of moving together, causes you to separate. It causes you to to drift in different ways. It causes you to um, just begin to bend in ways that you were never created to bend. But God is always asking the question, where are you? And so what counseling does is it kind of introduces a third party that says, how can we help us move apart from being apart to growing closer to, together. It's, it's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a person that's saying, hey, we need you to con- continue to, to grow in this so that we can be the image of God that we uh, are. And so what we talked about a few weeks ago is Matthew 19 says, if we are capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, if we're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, then we should do it because marriage is a large, large thing. And so this whole idea, uh, but, but the, the idea of, of counseling, what we do often, often when we talk to a couple that is uh, either pursuing divorce or is beginning to consider divorce, the first question we ask them is, well, what help have you gotten um, over the last year? None. None. Usually the answer is None. Well, why not? Like, well, because, because the other person won't, even, they're not going to change because of it. Um, or the other person, you know, or maybe, maybe like, really, is it going to help? Is it going to really, is it going to change anything if I go talk to somebody? Or maybe it's literally because you can't afford it. Or different other various reasons that block us from simply getting the help what we need. So what we want to do today is we want to make a case to get help when you need help. And what, what, why we want to do this is because I think there is nothing more, um, uh, nothing more illustrative of our relationship with God when you can simply say, I need help. If you can't say it in your relationship with your marriage, it's probably going to be very difficult for you to say it in your relationship with God. At the core and central to this entire idea of Christianity is that we can't do it by ourselves central to Christianity. Like, we can't follow Jesus. We can't be a Christian if we think we can pull ourselves out of our sin by ourselves. And I think one of the most core things that we can do to simply get 5% or 10% better in our marriage is to go talk to someone and say, hey, can you, can you help us just kind of sort through some stuff? We got some stuff uh, doing that. And, or maybe there's some stuff that we can, that we, that we can get better at. Maybe we need some coaching uh, to do that. I, I believe that counseling would be one of the most intriguing things for us. And so what, why we wanted to do this together is because we have, we have done this probably three times now. We're, just, we're in one right now. We're in a season of that right now. And uh, what we want to do is try to help break the stigma down um, to say, man, we need people. And I, I bet you've never gone to a church where, a pastor is, <laughs> where, where the pastors have actually acknowledged to a season of marriage counseling before. And what we want to do is say, we need that. We need that. We need our church. If we want to be a church that's known for large marriages, it starts with marriages saying we need help when we need help. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about five concepts that you'll touch on in counseling to try to get you to prime the pump, right? Because everyone's feeling a little awkward right now. Can I get an amen? Everyone's feeling a little awkward right now. You're like, what are you talking about? It's that same feeling you feel like if we actually go to counseling. It's a little awkward. But here, this is community. We want this to be so authentic because we really do believe that if you simply would talk to one person, two people, before 
you make certain decisions in your life, your marriage will completely change. So, Connie's going to go through number one. Ooh, I'm sold. I'm going to go add on an extra counseling <laughs> session today. So number one, personal history. Um, one thing that counseling is going to um, work with is your personal history. So some of you are in marriages where like the other person isn't going to come. That's okay. You can still go and you can't control another person. So start with yourself because you're going to have to do that anyway. And so you can always um, make that appointment yourself. Um, Ephesians says this, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So make the most of every opportunity. Don't make an excuse with every opportunity. Make the most of, make the most of every opportunity to be wise. Um, when I went through personal counseling before I even met Brandon, Brandon, the one thing that they kind of walked me through is what are some of the things that you are bringing into relationships with you, whether it's um, something you downloaded because of an experience you had, and it doesn't have to be a traumatic experience, like somebody, there's a lot of capital T traumas, like sexual abuse, um, but there's also a lot of little T traumas that you experienced a negative look and you downloaded something as a kid, and now that has caused you to feel shame when you see that look again. So there's, there's a lot of little T traumas that you have from past relationships and growing up that you bring into a marriage, and that causes a problem when you're trying to become one. It's not like you get married the day, you're married and then you become one. It's a process of becoming one. And so you're, as you're married and interacting with, the, interacting with each other, you're going to get these triggers, and it's usually from a past hurt and not necessarily just what's happening there. Um, so learning our triggers and how we're interacting with the world and we're interacting with our hurts is huge. I remember the counselor took me, remember, I'm like super nervous. This is one of my first counseling, um, what is that? Counseling, appointments. yeah, appointments. And um, she made me go through and write down a um, a timeline of every single time I felt a loss. And I was like, oh my gosh. And she said, the littlest loss that you felt from like your mom not showing up at something or your dad not doing this. And there's grace for everything, right, parents? We are going to screw up. I'm already saving for my kids' counseling. So <laughs> <laughs> everybody's saving for college. I'm like, I got the counseling. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the counseling savings for them. So, you know, but there's just stuff that might not seem like a big deal, but what you downloaded in that interaction is different than what actually happened. So sometimes you need a counselor to walk you through those types of events so you're not bringing them in and, and dumping them on your spouse or overreacting in some situations. Do you have anything to add to that, the uh, personal history? No, yeah, we're saving a lot, that's for sure. That's good. <laughs> Uh, no, but it's it's a yeah, it's a good it's a good thing. Oneness is a is a is a thing. When we're moving through, sometimes we have backpacks, and we all have backpacks. And you don't sometimes you don't know what's in that backpack until you get married. And so it, it turns into needing community. You need people to be around to help sort through that as you bump into that. Maybe uh, maybe year three, four, or whatever. You're beginning to interact with that in a brand new way. Maybe you're 10, 15 in new ways. 25, I bet, in different ways. If we're not there yet, but I know I've talked to many of you that are and you've bumped into brand new pieces of your story. And so it's always helpful to have someone in your back pocket that you can help sort through some of that with. 
Um, number two, the, the second concept that you, you will touch on when it comes to your marriage is going to be family of origin. And this is what Genesis chapter 2 says. It says, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of, from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. This whole idea of becoming one. But what it involves is you leaving your mother and your father. And all the moms and dads were like, no, 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 right? And if you have had a kid get married, um, you have experienced this. And, and here's the deal. It's very difficult for this to, to, to actually happen. It's, 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 actually, it's not the, the, the quickest thing all the time. But parents, you will do your kids a great service. Now listen to me. If you allow your kid to go. Some of you are wreaking havoc on your kid's uh, marriage simply because you're not letting them go. But others, kids that have been married, you're not letting go of your spouse, uh, of, of your parent, spouse. That's the worst advice in marriage. Or... <laughs> I was like, ooh. <laughs> That'll come up in evaluation for sure. Wow. And you know what the problem is? There's not, there's not a second one. There's not a second one. I can't fix this. So... Um, this one's going on the website, as it is. Like, this is how, that's how it is. Please. All right. He'll be in a counseling session. I'll be in a counseling session one. for this one. Anyway, but you have a, you have a, a fa- you're not letting go of your parents. And so you're just like, oh, you know what? That's, that's how my mom is. Well, no, no, no. That's your family now. Right? I remember the moment that I, I was like, you know what? My, my, my more immediate family is, is Connie and my two boys. Now, that's weird because you kind of grew up in a house with these same people all the time. And my, my parents are part of the church and I see my brother and sister all the time. They live, you know, they live real close to us and, and whatever. But, I, I, you know, and we do a lot together. We love, you know, we love each other and we celebrate holidays together. And, and you know, there, there's, you know, it's, it's awesome. We, we have a great little, we have great moments like that. But, but I remember the moment I was like, man, this is my immediate family. That's different. That's different. And, but here's the thing is, is some of you are constantly maneuvering in all of this to say, oh, I want my kid close. And you're simply not doing Genesis chapter 2, letting them leave so that they can cleave well with their family. And, and so a lot of times that shows up in counseling. And you kind of like bump around all of this and you're like, well, you really aren't becoming one because you're still connected to your, uh, to your mom and dad in a major way. You're still living as a child and not like an adult married with kids. And a lot of that stuff will come up. You will, you will engage a lot with family of origin, especially when it comes to ways that you talk to each other, ways that you engage with all of it. But it's good work uh, to pursue all of that. So that's a major concept you're going to hit in marriage. Yeah. Okay, so we have the personal history, the family of or- origin, and then relational resentment. Um, this is counseling. I, I know one of the benefits for us is that counseling became a safe place. So you ever come home and somebody's like, you know, we need to talk. I'm usually the one saying that to Brandon. <laughs> it never comes across, you know, good. It's, it's like you're, you're feeling like there's a problem and then you want to talk about it right away. So one of the things that counseling offers is a safe place. Like every week we have a safe place where we're, we know we're going to talk about the good, bad, and the ugly. And a lot of times that's the safest place to talk about some relational resentment. Because a lot of times when you're talking about um, patterns that have come up and 
been hurtful or stuff, it can be hurtful to your spouse, right? So then it triggers them to be defensive. So a lot of, I know we experience in counseling just someone mentoring us, being able to guide us, having, navigating those um, resentments and giving us a space to be honest about it because it's, you can't hide that stuff and when you do, you're not actually becoming one. It's actually you know, getting in the way of becoming one because now you have all these feelings and things that your spouse doesn't know and so you're, you're actually drifting apart because you're not really knowing that person um, at a deeper level. Um, so there's some resentments that might come from something big like a, a capital T trauma, which is you know, maybe like an affair or an addiction of some sort that you're going to need help navigating that. You're, you're going to need a, a counselor to walk you through that and help you through the healing. Um, or maybe you're just in a state where you're frozen, um, where you're not thriving. Um, there's not, it's not good, but it's not bad. Um, we touched on that a little bit last week. And you want to, uh, but there's little things that you're noticing and they're building up in. So a counselor is going to help get to the roots of that and be able to talk about that. And then we all know the unspoken needs. A lot of us don't know how to advocate for ourselves. Um, us, we found ourselves in that bucket often. We don't know how to confident, just confidently be like, you know what, I need you not to talk to me that way in front of people. It's humiliating. It makes me feel humiliated when you do this. It sounds like we're na- we feel like we're nagging. We feel like we, we um, are doing something wrong. And there's... I don't know, is there an example that you have, like a need where you're, you're saying, I need to advocate for this part of me so my wife can come alongside of me and help me with that? Yeah, like, yeah. When, I was, when we first were, were married, we were interacting with the, with the church world, and I would, I would get into church, and I would just go. And I'd like, literally like, leave my wife in my desk. Like, like, just because I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in work mode, or I'm, you know, I'm achieving, you know, that sort of thing, and I'm getting ready to go. And, uh, and my wife was literally like, I need you to stay with me <laughs> um, when we go to church in the morning, at least not complete. It's kind of embarrassing that you quickly so go, you know, she was able to advocate uh, for that. And then, and then there are times where when I say, Connie, when you say it that way, I completely freeze inside and I don't know how to communicate with you. And there's a, there's a need-based thing that would say, Connie, I need you, to, I need you to, to try real hard to nurture this part here because I really feel more confident when you do that. And, and it feels funny when you, when you, can, when you state it that clearly. Uh, but in all reality, I, I, it's, it's one of the most helpful and, and great things that you can do. Yeah. Another thing I, I feel like counseling does with the relational resentments, a lot of times um, relational resentments come from unnoticed patterns. And so there's a pattern that like Brandon might keep doing the same thing over and over, and it might be little, but after time, the resentment grows in my mind. My mind's like a soil for that to grow because I haven't advocated for myself or been like, hey, this is causing a problem. Now, it doesn't mean I get to control everything. It doesn't mean that That's just- right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> That couch is looking pretty comfy tonight, isn't it, ladies? <laughs> so it doesn't mean that, like, I use that as a control thing, which is also why when you do it with a counselor, he's going to be able, he or she is going to be able to help you um, kind of make sure that's done healthy because we're practicing, right? We're practicing how to have the conversation. We're all bad at it um, because we're human. So and when we're hurt, it's even worse. So... When these patterns happen, though, when you go to try to heal them, I have a quick slide for you. When you go to try to heal them, 
you always see that you'll always see that pattern. So if you have experienced hurt in a different relationship, and then you come in and you're experiencing some of the same things, even your emotional response might be a little bit off because your brain is wired to emotionally respond and to recognize patterns. Your brain is is wired to survive and recognize patterns. So there is a slide up there. Yep. So right here, you've all seen this. What? Does everybody see the face? Does everybody see a face? Okay. So when I tell you the other thing that you can see, some of you might see the other thing, which is fine, right? It's written liar. But if you couldn't see liar first, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. If you couldn't see it first, now that I've told you, you can see it. Same thing in your marriages. When you have experienced it, now that you go to interact again, you're going to experience that same thing again over and over and it's hard to see that that might not be happening or your brain is a little clouded. So Brandon will for instance, Brandon will give me a look and I'll be like, "What's that look?" <laughs> I saw that look yesterday and the day before and it wasn't a good look. What's that look? And I was like, "I'm choking on something." Okay. Like, right? Like, I don't so, know. <laughs> so what there's that no is? look. I promise there's no look. That's it. So, so what I could do is the resentment could build in my head, or that is a, 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 a communication, like his facial expression communicated something, but then comes in the conversation. The conversation is, your face communicated to me that you think I'm dumb. Do you think I'm dumb? And then no, you know, like there's clarity, there's conversation. I hope the answer is no. <laughs> but there's conversation around that, and your brain is going to go right to the pattern that you're used to seeing. So that goes back to your personal history. If you come from a situation or where somebody's constantly lying to you or whatever situation it may be, it could be something very small, you're more likely to read that into your marriage. Make sense? Are you tracking? Uh, nice, <laughs> nice. Are you tracking? I'm starting to see some patterns right now. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just one other note on that is, is when you're able to, when, you, when you're in a, a moment, this is really, really, I would encourage you to go see someone, when you, especially when you get here, when you're unable because of resentment to empathize with your spouse, you really do need some, someone to help you uh, just maneuver that. Empathetic conversation, the ability to care for them um, and, and respond and validate their, their need um, is really important. If you're at a spot where you just are not validating even their simplest concern, you'd be like, oh, you're blowing that out of proportion. If you're constantly doing that, I, I would really uh, just encourage you uh, to figure out what's at the root of that. The validating, that's what's so cool about marriage is that even the littlest, most weird, like the weirdest things, can, we can find validation in our spouse and say, oh, I just got this weird thought. Can you help me, kind of help talk me off the mountain sort of, sort of deal. It's really good. Yeah, I want to say one more thing. There's also a thing that we do psychology, you know, researches this. It's called the halo and the horn effect. I don't know if you've heard of it, but we experience one bad, one bad experience with someone, and we, we, or one good experience, and we either place the halo over their head or the devil's on their shoulder. And so it's, in a marriage, you have to be really aware of that because that happens in all of our relationships. It's, it's why we have first impressions, and it's a lot of times why stereotypes happen. Because when we have an ex, a good or bad experience, we label that whole person as either all bad or all good. So you can end up in a hurtful situation demonizing your spouse. And that's another reason why counseling kind of helps you see here's, here's one bad part, but there's also all this good too. It's not, not everything's all bad and all good. There's so much gray in this world and in our relationships, and that's good and great. And that's where Jesus you know, can meet you. So embrace that.
Cool. Okay. Uh, number four uh, is, is maybe, f if, depending on what season you're on in life, number four is uh, missional purpose. Um, and, and maybe you have not considered using some sort of a counselor or a third party to do this, but sometimes we get to a spot in our life when we really are trying to figure, we're kind of bored, right? We're kind of bored and we're needing some new season to find some impact on behalf of the kingdom. And really what, what this is, and this is actually what Connie and I have always bumped to in our counseling seasons, is really how to maneuver different parts of, of just loving the church together and how to, how, to, how to really see kingdom impact together as a, as a spouse. I, I, I tend to, uh, to maneuver, like I'm a bit quieter, more introverted when it comes to different, different work uh, patterns that I have. And so I, I often have to find myself working in it. That was part of the pattern that, that was, ex was, uh, was, that Connie was experiencing that was really like something that I thought was, there was no problem and it was creating a, a pattern in our life. And uh, so, but Ephesians 5, uh, verse 31 says this. It says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And so there's something about the idea of our marriage being one that's an image to the world about God. And we need to know that and understand that, that your, that your relationships are, are, in another way, it says, it literally said that we'll be known by our love for each other, right? And so, our, our, so part of our relationships are an image to the world about what God is like. But sometimes missional purpose um, gets in the way. We're like, I'm kind of bored. Or maybe you have two different things uh, going, going at it in, in different ways. Um, but really it comes down to this. Are you leaving a legacy of mission for your grandkids' grandkids? Right? Right? Isn't that like a mind-blowing concept? Like, what will my grandkids' grandkids say about my love for the Lord? What will my grandkids' grandkids say about the way that I participated in his local church and his mission, in the mission to restore all things back to him? What, what types of, uh, of things? Uh, I often hear this um, when it comes to generations. When it comes to, to, to multiple generations, especially if you are starting to, uh, if you're starting to hit 25, 30, 40 years of marriage, there's a good chance that you're not going to find a church that is your style, ever. I'm, I'm being just straight, straight honest with you. You will be a part of a church that might have a little missional impact, but you're going there because it's your style. And I would say that is not a legacy mindset when it comes to participating in the kingdom of God. You come here to Community Covenant Church, and you're married 25, 30, 40 years, there is a slew of couples married 5, 10, and 15 years that need you. And you might not like the worship music much. <laughs> and I'm being serious. I, I'm like, that's funny, but they I'm being are. serious. Because that's what the church is. The church needs you. The church needs your, your experience, your love, your community. I mean, I talk to people all the time. I love, I love when people come and say, hate the music, but love the church. I love that. I love that. Because you know what it typically says? Love the church, hate the music, I'm going to find another one. I hate the music, but I love every single person that I meet here. Love that. Why? Because you have a legacy mindset about your mission on earth. And if you and your spouse could somehow find a space together to say, you know what? We've done the counseling piece. We've grown into a new season. We are comfortable well. We, we're able to interact well with each other. We're, we have killer date nights, like that sort of stuff. Like we're already there, so good. 
but you haven't found your missional impact yet, I would just challenge you, what is it together that you are just driving to leave a lasting legacy for not just your kids, but for your grandkids' grandkids to know about how you loved the Lord? So missional purpose is a big deal. Something about your marriage is going to tell the world what God is like, and what is it? And so that's point number four, last one, um, a major concept in marriage. Seasonal anxiety. So um, there's, there's always, we're always changing seasons. We're always, uh, whether it's we're newly married, we're having our first kids, we're shipping our kids off to college, we're taking care of our parents. Um, we're, you know, then we get to a season where we're planning our will, we're talking about what's, how we want to be buried, or if we want to be cremated, you know, there's always different seasons in our marriage. And what, it's, um, what it says here is, I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I just, I love that part where it says, Yes, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. There is a season for everything. And it is beautiful for that time. And enjoy that time. And then when God's moving you on to a different season, you're going to, that's going to be a, that has the potential to be a beautiful season. But in those gaps of transition, a lot of us experience anxiety. And we need a counselor to help us work that out or talk that through. Or if we're even in marriages, when you change, a career or change the way you school your kids, a lot of times anxiety is going to come up because you're, you thought your life was going to look like this and now you're making a switch. And so to have somebody to bounce that off with and have a counselor coach you in that so you're not labeling yourself as a failure um, for not doing something a certain way is really helpful and really important. Um, I don't know if you have... Yeah, yeah, we talk, yeah. Uh, we talk, we have a, one of our major engines of our church or the core of our church is uh, are, are people that are getting ready to shift into empty nest phase. Mm, um, yeah. And you have, you have kids that have grown off into college in different ways, and that is a brand new season uh, because you're now in a spot where there's, there's two things. One, you have, you, have, you have this other person in the house, right? And it's, I hope it's, I hope it's the, the person that I know and love, right? Mm. And sometimes you've got to reinteract with them in a new way. Uh, but sometimes you've got to let your kids, too, navigate their own life. At 21 and 22, God help us all, right? Like, I'm so thankful that I'm not my 21-year-old self anymore. Uh, but sometimes you got to watch your kid go through that. And that's really, really can make you anxious. And you need people to be around you. You need people to be around you for that. Uh, but there, there's two things. As we close, there's really two things that I, I want you to know. Uh, it's okay to not be okay. This is number one. I hope for us as a church that we can say, hey, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. We need a season of help. And we have that here. If you come to us as a church, uh, Pastor Chris, our care pastor, is going to meet with you. And he's going to help you get connected to a network of people that we have access to that we've been building over the last two or three years of really some of the best people I personally know to help you get unstuck and on your way. But it, as much as it's okay to not be okay, it's also okay to be okay. Because some of you are sitting in here right now and you're like, man, marriage? marriage? Like, my marriage is going awesome. I, like, right now, I'm so, this is so much fun. And I would say, man, would you find another couple and encourage the socks off of them? 
just bless them. Take them out for dinner. Take them out for dinner. Ask them, ask them how they're doing. Shoot them a text. Find another couple and just speak life into them. You can do this. You got this. You got this. Marriage is so awesome. Marriage is so awesome. You can do it. Because whether you know it or not, there's a couple in a church our size, there's always a couple that says, I'm not, I'm not sure if we're going to make it. I don't know. Another year seems like hell to me. And we need your love and we need your life. So it's okay to be okay. But find someone who's saying, man, I'm not. And speak life and joy and blessing into them. Our biggest thing, central to this idea of Christianity, is that we can't do life alone. We can't do it. And we're going to celebrate communion together as, a, as an image of that. When I was dead, God made me alive. When I was dead, God spoke life into me and resurrected me. And I was able to see the world the way that he originally intended me to see it. And he does that in marriages all of the time. We see this all of the time. But it all starts with this one moment where you can say this, I'm not okay. We're not okay. And we need some help. We need some help. And I would just plead with you that we would never be a church that gets updated about big decisions like this without first seeking our help. And that's my plea to you as your pastor this morning. If you are in that spot, we are going to work and we're going to move heaven and earth if we can to love you and to care for you and to help you get unstuck and on your way because we believe that that's core to who we are. If we want to be a church that's growing into large marriages and we want to be known for the strength and the stability and the largeness of our roots and the largeness of our trees, the largeness of our marriages, if we want to be a church that only God can get the credit for, it starts with one or two people saying, we're not okay and we need some help. You're not going to be judged for that? Oh, my word. We just told you all that we're in a season of, of junk. And we're constantly working through that. No one's going to judge you. Mm. You're going to be met with care. Because we all know we need one. We, we got one thing that's tying us together. We all need a savior. We all need a savior. So we all got junk. Your junk just might look like this right now. And I got junk that looks like this right now. And you got junk that looks like this right now. We all got that junk together. And we all praise the same God and give glory to him because he gave us love and joy um, even in the midst of that.